0: Hi, everybody. I am Mark Graven. I am the VP of Improvement and Innovation Services at Kinexus, and I'm very happy to welcome you uh, to today's webinar, which I hope will be of great interest not only to healthcare professionals, but uh, to anybody who uh, potentially can be a patient uh, or the loved one of uh, a hospital patient. Today's topic, teaming with patients to improve safety, um, is something that uh, we all Think is really important at Kinexis, and we're really um, excited to bring this to you today. We have three co presenters, and uh, I will introduce our first co presenter in a second after we touch on a few of the logistics. So, we have three presenters today, and I'm going to start off. I'd like to introduce and, and then hand things over in a second to uh, Laura Townsend. And, and Laura, We'll introduce uh, Elise and Carol and and talk about some of their collaboration here. Um, I I first met Laura. um, She's the the co-founder and president of the Louise H. Batts Patient Safety Foundation. I I first met Laura in 2012 when I was working, living in um, San Antonio. And um, Laura's family uh, is from the San Antonio area. And um, Laura's going to tell the story of, of her mother, Louise Batts, and, um, and what led to um, the unfortunate circumstances that led to the founding of the foundation. But I, I, I greatly admire the work that Laura and her family have done um, to help um, uh, c- uh, encourage collaboration and teamwork within healthcare in the name of uh, protecting uh, and helping other patients out there. Um, so Laura, I will go ahead and hand things, uh, over to you. Thank you again for being here today to uh, present for us.
1: Well, thank you, Mark, so much for having us here today. Um, it's, a it's a real honor and, uh, um, Mark is, uh, has been with us for, you know, several years now and, and um, I'm proud to have him as a member of our board and I just thank you so much for everything that you do and I want to introduce, I'm going to share, um, I'm going to share my mom's story, and then I'm also, after that, um, what we've been doing since then, um, and, and um, talking to you about the vision and mission of the Louise BATS Patient Safety Foundation, and Elise Matoka um, will um, be speaking today, and she is um, with Seton Healthcare Care Family. She's a bone and joint coordinator there, and she's been using our BATS guides. And then Dr. Carol Ratton, who has uh, been with us since the very beginning, Um, almost nine years ago, um, when my mom passed away, she was a CMO at Baptist Health System at the time where my mom, where my mother was and has really gone on this journey with us. And, and, um, she is, is absolutely amazing. So I can't wait for you guys to hear these, uh, ladies after I speak, but, um, it was a little over, um eight years ago um, in April, and my mom, Louise Batts, and Mark, if you want to move the slide to the front of the, um, a couple slides in front, where it talks about um, our story, and it has a picture of my mom. Here we go. Yeah, and one more slide to share our story would be great. Yes, there's a mission right there. Thank you so much. So that is my mom, Louise Batts, right there. And the two little girls in the picture um, are on the left is my daughter, Ella Townsend, and my other little one, Mary Louise Townsend. And Ella is going to be 13 years old next week, and Mary Louise will be 10 this year. Just I can't believe how, how much they have grown up. And uh, that was the last picture, that the last birthday that my mom celebrated. Um, in April of that year, of 2009, my mom decided to have knee surgery, and uh, she needed to have total knee replacement, and she'd really done her research, and we really, we grew up in the medical community of San Antonio. We have five doctors in our family, and so we really felt like we knew how to navigate the system, and uh, and, and she was so prepared for it, and everybody told us this was going to be no big deal, that she was going to be in and out in three days, and, and then no problem, so they do this every day, and so we we really had a false sense of security going in. And my mom um, my mom had, uh, we went to the pre-op that morning and it was just my aunt and Joanne and my dad and myself. We were the three non-doctors, but the rest of them were gonna come on the weekend. And uh, she uh, she was great. She had never had surgery until, the last time she, my mom had been in the hospital it was 35 years before that, when she'd had me. So she was really a healthy, uh, strong, strong woman. And she went back for the surgery. And I think as a family and a patient, you feel that uh, if you can, if you just make it to the surgery, everything's going to be okay. So after about an hour and a half of waiting, the doctor came out and said, Gosh, you know, she did so great. She has a beautiful new knee. I'm, I'm so pleased with how everything went. And, you know, you just have this huge sense of relief that just gone off your shoulders. And it was like, Whew, okay, it's, this is smooth sailing from here on out. So they moved my mom to the orthopedic unit. And she was getting two milligrams of morphine on a PCA pump. And around six o'clock that night, my mom started to feel a little nauseated um, from the creamy soup that they had given her. So they gave her um, a drug called Vistrol to help her um, with that. And then um, around seven 30 or eight that night, I went and grabbed Ella, um, my oldest and and, uh, we took balloons and flowers and to to the hospital and, and so she could see my mom, and I was just, I was so happy that my mom could, could see her, and that Ella could see her, and she always had this smile on her face. I know that she wasn't comfortable, but she just had this beautiful smile on her face like she does in that picture, and was just so uh, happy to see her, and, um, and then I took Ella home, and I came back, and uh, it was my mom, and, and my dad, and myself, and my Aunt Joanne, and we were visiting with the nurse, and she was wonderful. We probably, it was around ten thirty, and, she probably spent 30 minutes with her, just asking her all kinds of questions, and, uh, how the rest of the night looked for my mom, and, you know, they told us that at midnight, my mom was scheduled to get, uh, the morphine again, uh, the bistro, and then, um, a narcotic called Demerol, and we were like, wow, that, that kind of took us back, we're like, well, that seems like a lot of medication for someone who's never taken anything more than Advil, And Uh, they asked my mom like what type of pain level my mom was in between 1 and 10 and my mom was like I, I have no idea how to even rate rate that I, I don't know. I don't have a basis I don't know and and they said well, do you feel like you're having a baby and she's like oh gosh No, this is no big deal. There's <laughs> nothing like that. So they uh, we all made the decision that my mom was only supposed to have um, Was only supposed to have uh, the morphine if she needed it and she did not need the visceral or the demerol at all and then the nurse told us to please go home because my mom needed to have her rest and so um I gave my mom a big kiss I told her how much I loved her and um I told her that um uh that I would see her in the morning and my dad and I went home and you know he was so relieved too I mean you know it was really honestly the though the first time that my dad had probably been in the house by himself without her in 45 years and so we um we went to bed that night, and around 3 o'clock that morning, we got a phone call from the uh, hospital saying that my mom was having trouble breathing, and that if she could please come, if we could please hurry and get to the hospital. And so I started to panic. I called my my Uncle Charlie, who's an OB-GYN in San Antonio, and he was like, don't worry, it's going to be okay. They probably just moved her to the telemetry floor. Then we went, uh, I called my brother in Dallas, who's a radiologist, and he started to panic because he was like, did she have a pulmonary embolism or what happened? And then um, I got to the hospital and I saw a security guard outside my mom's door. And so I started running. and left my dad behind and I realized at that point, um, oh my God, I looked in the room and I thought my mom, uh, I thought my mom was already dead. Um, she was just laying lifeless um, on the bed and um, they were only doing a handheld oxygen thing to help her. And um, I didn't understand what had happened. And you realize why well, they have a security guard outside the door because you feel like 20,000 knives have just gone through your body. And it turned out um, that they had given um, my mom the morphine and the dimerol and the visceral at midnight, and they had no monitoring on her. And uh, she went into respiratory depression and suffered an brain injury. Um, it did not take as long to realize that my mom had suffered a preventable medical error. And we did not know we' never heard that term I mean we'd grown up in the medical community and, and we'd never ever talked about it as a family and it was uh, it was so shocking to hear that and we um, my mom was on life support for 11 days after that and uh, during that time I did a lot of research wondering are we the most unlucky people in the world or does this happen to other people and we were just so shocked to see that over 200,000 people a year die from preventable medical error, making it the third leading cause of death in this country behind heart disease and cancer. And how did that happen? How did we not know this? How is this problem so such a huge problem? and We never talked about this as a family, a medical family. And um, 11 days later on April 26, we have to take my mom off life support and um, it was a horrible experience. And uh, it's not like it is in the movies, that's for sure. It's a terrible, horrible thing. And um, we uh, wrote, uh, I said goodbye to my mom and that night after my mom passed away, we wrote the mission for Louise H. Batts Patient Safety Foundation, which is what you see here um, on the on the screen. Um, we weren't going to let other families experience the pain that we went through we We're going to try to help as many families and patients and nurses and doctors not to experience the pain that we went through um, as a family, and my mom's legacy wasn't going to end that night. Um, that's not the way her life was going to end. Um, and so from that moment, and on this journey for the past, it's been an incredible journey the past eight years, and and what we've done, and what we've tried to accomplish, and the people that have have helped us, and the team that we've created, is it's really amazing. And if we want to move to the next slide, what we've done, what we did, um, from that this, this point has been really, really extraordinary. We as, at first, when I look at myself, I think if I could just have six hours back, what I wish I could have known, what I wish I could have done to save my mom's life, and that's really my driving force every single day. I sat with the nurse. I asked a thousand questions that day. I just didn't get lucky and asked the right one, and and so we had to sit down and figure out like, how did this, why did this happen? And so really, the, all the San Antonio hospitals really rallied around us and around our family, and we came up with the three reasons that we felt were the reasons that uh, my mom died that day. What was that root cause analysis? And we always say one was a lack of teamwork. We always said that we had a great, great family, great, great patient, great nurse, great doctor, but great players don't make a great team. And we did not work well as a team that day. And uh, the second was a lack of knowledge. I always say I asked a thousand questions. I didn't get lucky and ask the right one. And, And that's so true. I mean, it's just nothing nothing that I asked really made any effective decision in her health care that day and it just it's heartbreaking looking back at that The third thing was the lack of technology I always said that they put my mom in a car going 200 miles per hour without a seatbelt and a helmet and just said good luck they gave her drugs that she had never taken before narcotics that she'd never taken before that you don't know how someone's going to react to and didn't have any life-saving monitoring on her at all anything and they sent us home as well so the it just it was just a disaster waiting to happen um and so when i think about if i just had the right questions to ask my mom would be alive today and that's really what we've started to do and we built all these guides um since that point and it's been amazing we have an adult guide that we've built uh for the bat's guide Um, we have it in spanish um, english and dutch we have a pediatric guide that we've developed Um, we have two pediatric transplant guides that we um, have developed, um, we have an app. If we go to the next slide, you can see that also um, we've developed um, an app that you can use that on your Android um, devices, your iPad, your iPhone. Um, it's, it's really great. It's free for anybody to download. Um, we've got wonderful partnerships that we are now developing. If you go through the next slides, I can show you um, that the wonderful, this shows you just a list of uh, of where we so far have distributed the BATS guide and our partners that it's not just what's so neat is it's not it's not just me going out there to distribute these guides we have these wonderful partners and companies that go out to conferences and do this for us and they you know believe in what we're doing it's really amazing and, and if you go to the next slide you can see um, that we've also developed and we've been working with um the Head Start program um, and our Empower team, which is a collabor- collaboration from the University of Texas School of Pharmacy and the Head Start program to create uh, tools in Spanish and English for um, over th- uh, for 3,000 families in-, in San Antonio that are part of this program to help them in their healthcare, the U you and your health. That's really about improving you know, our health literacy and how do we have the right questions to ask our healthcare providers and how do we, you know, these tools really create that bridge for families and patients um, to become part of the team. Um, and if you go through just quickly in the next slides, we're also developing um, we've been working with Susan, uh, the pediatric transplant, which you, we've already had that developed, which is wonderful. And then on the next slide, you'll see um, that we um, are working with um, Susan G. Komen to uh, develop a breast cancer guide. Um, and uh, we're also developing one for heart patients. And we are also uh, developing one for NICU babies that we should all be uh, ready to go hopefully in the next, um, six to 12 months. So it's, it's been really exciting. The journey, we find that everybody, <laughs> everybody needs one for their specialty. It seems like, and then we keep getting calls for that, but it's been really amazing. And I, and these next two ladies that are going to talk to you, um, are amazing. Elise has been at Seton and they've been using our bats guide, um, in their joint unit, um, for the past uh, few years. And I, I can't wait for you to hear, Um, how that implementation has been working. And then uh, Dr. Carol Ratten um, will be speaking um, after that. And um, um, she is um, just been, you know, just been amazing for us and one of, you know, our heroes um at the bats foundation and she's she's on our medical advisory board as well and you know just about the journey but the you know the journey that you know the healthcare organization goes on to implement these guides and the importance and the culture change and and what it takes and so um thank you so much and i and i'm going to pass the baton to lisa and then we'll uh i'll cycle back at the end okay uh thank you laura Uh,
2: before I talk, I just want to give an overview of um, where I work, the organization that I work for, and it's Seton Healthcare Family of Hospitals. It's a non uh, not-for-profit organization. It's the leading provider of healthcare services in Central Texas, and we serve an 11-county population of 1.9 million. We are the region's largest community service organization, and Seton contributed more than $419 million in charity care last year. Uh, We are in partnership with the University of Texas System Board of Regents. We have a new medical school um, and the Dell Medical School at the University of Texas at Austin. And our parent company is Ascension Health. Um, We have five major medical centers. Seton Medical Center Austin is one of those, and that's the one that I work at. Um, We have a couple of community hospitals, three rural hospitals, and an inpatient mental health hospital and we have primary care clinics for the uninsured. And we're proud to be a magnet hospital, and, and my particular unit, which is orthopedic, we are certified in uh, disease-specific care for ch- uh, joint replacement and spinal surgery. And uh, you can advance the slide. Oh, I think it needs to go a little further. Uh, advance some more, I'm sorry. It's for um, how we introduce our our guide. So we have a uh, preoperative class. It's our bone and joint class. And we have total joint surgeries that attend, patients having those surgeries. And it's approximately one to six weeks prior to the surgery. And we prefer it be anywhere from four to six weeks that they come in ahead of time. And our class is focused on prevention of complications and patient safety. Um, We're preparing the patients for what they need to know, what they need to do to prepare for the surgery, um, what what to expect when they're in the hospital, and preparing at home and, and preparing, making sure that they're going home to a safe environment. And we also go over their rehab expectations. So we want them coming in as healthy as possible. We want them to stay healthy while they're here, and then, of course, go home healthy. And so we explain that we, as their caregivers, we have a big role to play in making sure that all of that happens, but that they also play a role. And a big part of that role is being their own advocate, you know, feeling free to speak up and, and verbalizing to the staff, the surgeons, the physicians working with them, any concerns that they have. Um We ask them to have a designated person come with them and attend the class. We call it their co-pilot. And again, we want them all feeling like they can speak up. And in the class, we give a brief overview of the guide itself, and we talk about the bat's mission and story. We don't have a whole lot of time to do that um, because we've got a lot of information crammed in that class. But uh, it's basically like a show and tell We show the guide. We explain the different sections of the guide. We do tell them that there is an app available and give them that information. Um, And we're proud to say that Seton is partnering with the Bats Foundation to encourage patients to be their own advocates. We want them to feel free to speak up. Um, We explain that the guide tells them what to watch out for, what to be aware of while they're in a hospital setting, and, and that it also can be used as an organizer of their health information. So, you know, it's a workbook for them as well. They can write new medications, uh, concerns, questions in there. Um, So it's a tool that's educating them, while at the same time it's providing an avenue to actually engage them in their care as well. Um, And what we found is that it really sets the tone in the class from the start uh, for transparency regarding the care and and asking them to take an active role right then. Uh, You can advance, please. And so we had some initial concerns. This was a few years back. And uh, initially we were somewhat leery because we thought that it would create more suspicions instead of alleviating them. Um, We thought that it might increase the nurse's time at the bedside because of that. You know, would be more suspicious of the care, therefore... They're asking a lot more questions. And again, it was a few years ago where the culture wasn't quite as transparent, I think, as it is today. Um, we thought that it would make them more trusting, and, um, and that we, the staff would then be more hesitant. We didn't want them to de- be defensive. Um, and then we thought that maybe the book had too much information. Uh, maybe it was a little bit too thick and wieldy, but we wanted to try it with our patients. Um, What we found, and you can advance the slides, please, uh, is that it was quite the opposite. Um, The patients and the families are really actually less anxious, and um, they are encouraged not only to speak up and be their own advocate, but to actively participate and engage in their care. And we see that in the class as we're explaining the purpose of the guide. We can see them just visually relaxing. It's in their body language. Shaking their heads, yes, in agreement. As you're talking about it, um, it's just—it's all about being real and honest and planning ahead. And and I think they see that. It helps them to see that. Um, the patients are more knowledgeable. Oh, excuse me, knowledgeable about their care. Um, this is the evolving culture of healthcare now. There's many things that we're doing to help them to to be more knowledgeable and to be to participate more. We have bedside reporting, we have nurse leader rounding daily, we have a care board that's right in front of their bed that we review, the staff reviews with them um, every shift, as well as a care pathway that's laminated on the wall that we take down and review with the patient. All of that is reinforcing patient safety and advocacy. And the BATS guide just is hand in hand with all of that. It's a, it's a tool that helps in that overall transparency goal. Um the foundation streamlined the guide based on our feedback, and that was from our patients. It was from uh, meeting with us frequently. Uh, we had a patient in particular that was a CEO of a large company, and he thought the, the guide was great. He shared his information. He, he loved it. Uh, but he also told us how he thought we could improve it. And he did feel like it could be streamlined further. And um, Laura and the foundation, they made all the changes that he recommended. Um, They were very easy. Laura is very easy and very accommodating and eager uh, to work with us. She's awesome. She's always seeking feedback um, for any ways for improvements and suggestions. And it just makes it very easy on us. Um, And then the guide is free. And we tell the patients that from the beginning, we don't want them to feel like we're trying to sell them anything. Um, we just want them to know that, you know, we want to do this to help them. And I think that speaks volumes right there that we're really just trying to educate and um, and help them to have the best outcomes. Um, you can advance the slide please. And then um, we, Our weakness is that we really needed to do more data collection. Uh, It's basically, it's subjective feedback only. Um, So based on what our patients tell us, about a quarter to a half use the book as a workbook to organize their visits to their, you know, uh, physician's offices, to write down new medications, questions to their doctors while they're here. Um, most of our patients get very positive feedback that it's helpful information and it made them feel more comfortable knowing that we're encouraging them to speak up and that we know that um, they are informed and that they're watching us and that we're okay with that. I think that's really says a lot. We, um, it is important to educate the staff we did educate in the beginning. Our, our new orientees and our residents that come through our class, they they attend our class, and they are also given a booklet. They watch us and tell, you know, what we're telling the uh, patients in terms of what the book is all about. So we want them to know right off of the bat as well. And um, that's really all I have. Uh, Dr. Ratton is speaking next, and she was the one that introduced us to Laura and to the BATS Foundation, and she really was the driving force in getting us to see that this was something that that We really needed to do for our patients, and um, so I we appreciate her for that. And I'm going to hand off to Dr. Ratten now.
3: Good morning. Uh, thank you for the opportunity. Could Mark, could you advance this to the next slide, please? So, um, as Laura said, I was I was the chief medical officer at the Baptist Health System when uh, Laura's uh, mother died, and I. Have been working with her off and on through that time to um, get this uh, concept off the ground. I I've experienced myself as uh, a new healthcare provider early when I was in medical school, and then with, with, when I was in my residency, um, serious family illnesses, and then death, and was very frustrated as a as a family member, even though I was in the healthcare industry with Um, the resistance of the healthcare industry to really bringing the patient voice um, into uh, being members of the healthcare team. So I've been happy to collaborate with with Laura on uh, to help develop and implement the VATS guide that facilitates communication within the healthcare team and the recognition that patients are integral members of the team. Uh healthcare is traditionally paternalistic and that structure of paternalism can't keep patients safe. Patient safety requires that patients to recognize and accept their responsibility to be actively involved in all the details and aspects of their care and for for providers to also recognize that. If you can advance to the next slide, please. So this is a culture shift that we're trying to to implement, and culture change is not uh, easy or quick. Um, it It takes time and it takes an ongoing commitment. Um, I was at Seaton for probably almost a year trying to um, understand the culture and the staff before we really had enough traction to implement the guide. And I think Elise will testify that it took a year or two. Um, to really um, get the staff accepting and the patients accepting and to really learn on the ground, boots on the ground how to develop that relationship with the patients. and, and orienting new staff and now orienting residents is a, is also, is, a, is another innovation. and how do you really not only change the culture but sustain that um, sustain that change. So what are some of the critical steps that I've learned, and that we've learned um, in doing this work. Uh, number one, you have to create a why uh, with a real patient story. For the Baptist Health System, that story was um, was Laura's mother's story. But each institution really needs to have their own uh, their own why, and it's a it needs to be a why that the leadership. Of the organization uh, understands they need to support this change and they need to facilitate the change. Uh, it has to, the leadership support and facilitation is critical, but in addition, there must be champions, boots on the ground um, in the units, in the individual units or service areas that believe in the importance of patients. And and their caregivers as members of the healthcare team, who actually lead the transformation on the unit. And at least has been that um, been that uh, for the CMC healthcare family, or the orthopedic unit. But for the development of every one of the guides that Laura um, team has developed, it it has been those champions that have worked to uh, to bring those guides to life. Uh, Then you need to develop a process for introducing the tools in a reliable way with uh, patient and and staff training on the use of those tools. The use of the tool has to be part of the workflow for the team. Top-down implementation will not work or be sustainable. If, If it's an extra thing for the team to do on top of their other work, it, it, it's going to have a hard time gaining traction and a, a very hard time being being sustained. So having that um, and that's one of the reasons why we enjoy working with Mark because the the idea of of using lean process development where the where the use of the tool is really part of the workflow of the team is so important. Um, there need to be organizational goals around patient account, uh, engagement that hold the leadership and the staff accountable. And measures for improvement and to reinforce the desired behaviors around the use of the tool are are really important. A daily management system where there are some leading metrics that really help uh, assure that the patient voice is being incorporated into the workflow and being incorporated into the goals for the unit um, is is really critical. And then what is the ongoing uh, process to address staff turnover, that keeps this tool part of of the the workflow and part of the organizational goal. Mark, could you advance to the next slide, please? Yep. So some of the other sustainability things. Um, one of the things that 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 uh, Laura's team has developed is the Weezy Angel Hero Award. Uh, you know, Baptist. Uh, and and other organizations have developed little rewards within the organization to help reinforce amongst the staff the importance. So, Louisiana's Angel Hero Award is a, is a is an award given to staff who've really been heroes in bringing the patient voice into it. Um, But we have testimonials on these next couple of slides from different staff members and organizations that we're working with that really talk about how important the tool is in keeping patients safe. So um, uh, Emily Burgess says, keeping patients safety is a top priority of mine every day by partnering with the BATS Foundation. We're able to change the landscape of transplant safety and will continue to possibly impact patient lives. Nelson Tuazon, who is the Chief Medical Officer for the Baptist Health System and now is at at the University Health System in San Antonio, says the BATS Guide provides the opportunity for our nurses to have a dialogue with our patients, to talk about what's meaningful and relevant to patients and their loved ones as they go through the transitions in care between the hospital and their physicians and when they go home. Next slide, please. And then two other ones, um, in the 24 years of nursing, I've seen firsthand that patients and their caregivers can be the most powerful component of safe care. I've been so honored to play a small part in the pioneering of the work of the Louise Bat Foundation as they continue to make strides in creating practical tools that empower healthcare consumers and to be advocates for themselves. And, and finally, the Batts Guide is a great resource tool that allows patients and uh, family members to become more involved with the care that we are providing. I think this is kind of a testimony to, you know, no healthcare provider goes into healthcare to hurt people. Uh, they, they are mission-driven people, and these tools help them fulfill their own mission in addition to what it does for patients. It, it does the same for providers. Um, I think that's the end of our presentation, and we are happy to take questions.
1: Thank you, Carol and Elise, for uh, sharing your stories too. I think it's so important to hear. Um, you know, you started. We start with my mom's story. and We started with the, the, the tragedy. Um, it's a it's a tragic story, but these stories that you hear from Elise and Carol, they're, they're the ones that it's the hope, and um, and that's what uh, my mom was so full of. She was so full of hope and love and faith, and uh, she always told me that, uh, you know, not to get frustrated. if I was frustrated about a situation or upset about something or I didn't think I could get it done. She's like, you know, don't don't ever think that way. Don't ever, you know, let's just, you know, get up, brush it off, and let's do it. We'll work it out together. You know, we can always do things if we work it out together. And that's and that's really what we've been doing um, over the past um, eight years. Um, with these two and, and, and with Mark and everybody that's joined our team. And um, thank you for having us here. And if anybody's ever interested in using uh, the BATS guides or if they want them, you know, to please reach out, we have our information um, on our slides right here and my email uh, contact information that, you know, we're here for you. I mean, because we know that this is where we need to go in healthcare and we need to change the culture and we need to bring families and patients to become part of the team. And I think once we do that, we will get to zero. Um, we will get to zero preventable medical error. And uh, thank you, Mark, so much for having us having us here today. I really, really appreciate it.
0: Yeah, well, thank you, Laura, and, and thanks, Elise and Carol. Um, I encourage people, um, go ahead and continue submitting questions through uh, the question box in the GoToWebinar control panel. And before we start the Q&A period, I have a couple of quick announcements. Um, for one, you know one Laura mentioned that um, you know I've uh, been honored to be on the board of the foundation for a couple of years and, and and I try to support the foundation in different ways. And one way we're doing that is through uh, a book and now an audio book called Practicing Lean. Um, it, it, we have chapters by uh, myself and, and fifteen other, um, authors who each contributed a chapter with some of their lessons learned and reflections. Um, Paul Akers who's quite well known in the lean community. Uh, two people you might recognize if you are regular attendees on uh, the Kinexus webinars, Harry Kenworthy and Michael Lombard who have both presented webinars uh, here through Kinexus before. Um, the book is almost 300 pages and um, all of the proceeds um, shy of any sort of fees from Amazon or anybody who is is selling this are being donated to the foundation. So I would encourage people um, to go to www.practicinglean.com if you're interested in the book or uh, the new audiobook. We're honored to uh, try to help the foundation this way. Our next webinar is going to be on September 21st. We're going to have co-presenters uh, again on the topic of effective collaboration across organizations and across industries. So today's theme, of course, was collaboration, patients, families, caregivers. We're going to continue the collaboration theme. We love collaboration at Kinexus. So we're going to be joined by Teresa Hay-McMahon, who is the executive director of the Iowa Lean Consortium, an organization, of course, in the state of Iowa that encourages a lot of learning and collaboration and sharing within the state and uh, some neighboring states actually and she's going to be joined by stephanie hill who is corporate continuous improvement manager at craig tool company so they have um, a lot of great ideas to share about how we can get more collaboration i i hope people uh, especially from healthcare who are attending here who will join us uh, on september 21st can talk about collaborating and sharing across health systems within a community or within a state uh, in the name of uh, protecting patients. So if you want to register for that, you can go to kinexus.com slash webinars. Before that, September 12th, Greg Jacobson, uh, co-founder and CEO of Kinexus, will be joining me for our next Ask Us Anything. It's a 30-minute video broadcast where we answer questions from Kinexus customers and uh, our broader community. So you can register for that. You can submit questions, again, kinexus.com slash webinars, and you can find our past episodes on the Kinexus YouTube channel. We have a few other resources. We have our growing library of recorded webinars, uh, these webinars on demand, and we have our blog at blog.kinexus.com. Dot com. And if you see here where it says the improvement blog, and then there's also a customer blog. If, if you are listening because you're a Kinex's customer, you can check out that customer blog. I mean, it's open to the public, but that um, talks about product features and, uh, and things like that that are more of interest to customers. And then finally, I want to mention our Kinex's podcast series. The audio of today's webinar, along with our other webinars, Um, interviews, um, audiobook versions of blog posts, all kinds of content is there. You can go to kinexus.com slash podcast. You can find us in iTunes and all the other places you might normally subscribe to podcasts. And then um, again, we encourage you to check out louisebats.org or to email Laura if you have um, follow-up questions, and especially if you want to talk to Uh, Laura and or Elise and Carol about how you might be able to roll out and introduce um, the BATS guides into your organization or if you're coming at this from the standpoint of an employer or a community member, you may want to help sponsor um, some of these efforts uh, in your community for the benefit of your employees and and their families and your your community as a whole. Um, So again, want to thank um, our presenters and everyone for being here today. We've got um, some questions if uh, the ladies are, are ready. Um, maybe it's, I don't know, uh, it's not directed at anyone in particular. Maybe all of you might want to touch on this. Why do you think there is still so little public awareness about the scope of this problem with deaths and harm that are caused by preventable medical error? Who, who, a volunteer of who might like to, uh, touch on that first.
1: We probably all have a different view.
0: Uh, Laura, would you like to... I'll
1: go from from the patient side and just my thought. Sometimes I feel like it's the, can sort of be the white elephant in the room, you know, it's something that, you know, there's not a lot of, I don't think there yet, maybe, there's not a ton of transparency and and awareness on this issue. And it's hard because, you know, Doctors and nurses, like, we have five doctors in our family. Doctors and nurses are heroes. They save our lives every single day. <laughs> what they do is, is miraculous. So it's, 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 it's um, also something that, you know, where we come at a stance is that is very positive that we want to work together with you um, and to help make, and, and to have, and if we do catch a mistake, it's a good catch. It's not a mistake. It's a good catch. And, and our guides do that, right? I mean, my dad was in the hospital several times before my mom passed away and every single time you had a medication error, but we caught it and that's the most important thing and we could fix it and it's a real positive way, it's not anything, you know, it didn't end up like my mom, right? And so I just, I think it's a real, I think it's just a very sensitive, touchy issue and I'll I'll let Carol and Elise because I'm sure they have a different viewpoint coming from the medical side, but I really feel like it's so, so important that we do create awareness in this and kind of just bring forth to light and it's not to be anything that's negative, to the healthcare team or the healthcare doctors and nurses, it's like, how can we help you? Because we don't want this to happen. And I think that's sort of the, sh- we have to make sure that we present it in that way. Um, but I'll let Carol and Elise, I think maybe might have a side from the healthcare side, what their thoughts are.
3: Well, I, this is Carol. I, oh, I, know, Carol. I think that, that if there are, um, I think there are a lot of reasons why errors occurred, but I think one of the big things has to do with um, it has to do with the culture of medicine and med- medical education, and you know physicians have a, go and and other providers go into healthcare to help people and being humble enough to recognize that you don't always do that well and um, being open to soliciting help from patients is difficult for for patients, for providers, but also for patients. It, I think it's difficult when you're vulnerable as a patient uh, to, to question doctors. And in hospitals, when errors occur, unfortunately, there's been a lot of shaming. There's been real active suppression of error by the healthcare community. Uh, And some of that is, um, some of that on the part of providers is is just a defensive mechanism because they can't, they're not willing and able to be vulnerable. Some of it is related to uh, fear of job loss and loss of reputation. and again, this is where I think partnering with patients takes some of that burden away and, and helps keep us keep us safer. But I think the, the the willingness to acknowledge that that the error is is really endemic within the healthcare community. Yeah.
0: At least from your perspective as a, as a nurse or as a, a a manager leader in healthcare, what do you think?
2: I I totally agree with Dr. Ratton. I I do think uh, she's right on that. Uh, One thing is the positive thing is that the culture is changing. And I see it uh, amongst my peers, uh, the surgeons that we work with. Uh, We have hospital-wide safety briefings that, you know, we go through each day and we talk about near misses and what could have been done, um, you know, to prevent that. So there's just, I've just seen it. I've been at nursing for a long time, and I've seen a big culture change just in the last few years. So it's going the right direction.
1: And then it's just really about getting that message out to the consumer. You know, I think that's, that's kind of where we, where we are, too. That's what we're trying to improve
0: talking about this, I mean, you know, when I, I, I got into healthcare 12 years ago, you know, from a background in engineering, it, it's kind of part of the engineering mindset to, to to think about what could go wrong because that's a positive act because then we can try to figure out how to prevent uh, problems from occurring and, and and focusing on systems instead of telling people to be careful. Uh, when I got into healthcare, it seems like there was, you um, there's more tendency to blame somebody when something goes wrong, and, and well, if superstition is the right word, but I, I had some people tell me quite literally, like, well, you know, we don't like to talk about these things, as if not talking about it is a good strategy for, for preventing error. So, um, you know, I think when we see in the news, you know, stories of medical error, unfortunately, there's too much uh, blaming that happens in society. You know, the, the implication is that there was a bad doctor, there's bad nurses. And, you know, one reason uh, I'm, you know, have been so drawn to Laura's work and the BATS Foundation's work is that it comes from a, a very blame-free perspective, a recognition that we have great people in healthcare who are often, um, you know, thrown into, uh, a bad situation of having to work within bad systems. And, um, you know, I, I, I certainly appreciate the, the, uh, the perspective that, um, you know, this is preventable. If we were going to rely on, you know, people being perfect and superhuman, I, I wouldn't have much hope. But when we improve um, communication, have better systems, we, we have a fighting chance. Does right. someone else have a comment on that?
1: Right. I always say that, you know, my mom's death didn't lie on the shoulders of one. It was a system that failed everyone. The system failed everyone and it wasn't one individual person and it should never ever, you know, um, be thought of that way. And I think what's important and why I do share my story and I keep sharing my story, it's not, a, it's not an easy story to share, it's a sad story, but if we don't share the stories of how something went wrong, then we'll never be able to fix it, we can't always focus on the yay stories that, that somebody did that's amazing, which we should, we should celebrate those too, which we should also celebrate these stories as well, because then these stories, these sad stories turn into hopeful stories, and they turn into change, and that's why, you know, I keep doing it, and I'll probably never not cry sharing the story, but I know that, every time I do that hopefully we'll be saving somebody's life and my mom will be saving somebody's life. And and that's why we have to keep getting out there and and creating that awareness so people are prepared and that we can all work together as a team. I mean, it's really, I always say that doctors and nurses, you're almost superheroes, but you're still human. (laughs) So, you know, there's going to be, there's just always that room to make an error on everyone's part.
0: Yeah, and it's those same good people who contribute to the miracles and, and the lives saved um, on, on one day, and then the next day there, there could be some sort of error. It doesn't mean they're suddenly a bad person, person. right? Person. Yeah. Bad no. provider. No, but we've
3: relied, but we rel- have relied in the past in healthcare on the actions of, of people as, as if the people controlled, um, as, as if we're always at the top of our game and And we can work harder and be more perfect. And really, what we need is better systems the way engineering does. And that's why what you bring to the to the table market is so important because we have to create better systems that makes it possible for really talented people to do good work. And including the patient in the in the very beginning helps us create those those better systems.
0: Yes, yeah, I think we're we're definitely in agreement. In agreement on that um, there's a question directed uh, toward Elise but you know uh, um, uh, can you talk a little bit more on the slide where you said there was concern about more time at the bedside um, if, if if studies show that more time at the bedside leads to better outcomes and patient satisfaction was it really more a concern about that one more thing? was it really more of a concern about not having time? To engage patients this way,
2: um, I think at the at the time frame that we were beginning this, it was probably a little bit of fear about you know how do I handle these questions. I mean now that's not not the issue. We we really encourage them to, but I think at the time frame there was probably not that same um, same level of transparency. Um, and then, in addition, I think they just—it um, was the time frame of feeling like I'm not. Gonna, this is this is. Uh, these are good questions, um, and I need to be able to have the time to sit down and really engage. You know, with the family and with the patient, and I'm not going to be able to do that. So I think there was a lot of concern about that. So probably a little bit of both.
1: I, um, you know, I always, um, one of the things, though, is that, you know, I always say that I spent 20 minutes with with our nurse, um, at least, and we asked so many different questions, and the real tragedy is that day is that not one question I asked that day was in the Bats Guide. So not one question I asked that day really mattered. And that it's the saddest thing of all, because if I had, if I had looked, if I had had that FATS guide, first of all, if I would have gotten to page 10 and realized that my mom had undiagnosed sleep apnea the trajectory of her care, we can be completely different, and, you know, we wouldn't be here uh, today, but, um, you know, none of the questions that I asked were really targeted to, you know, her health that day and like what could really make a difference and like you know I didn't know to ask like what my machines were hooked up to my mom because I thought the machines that were hooked up to her life-saving machines but they were just really PCA monitors so really I wasted 20 minutes of the nurse's time and so really the guide is supposed to be a tool to have good efficient communication um, with the family and the patient good quality communication not just like what am I going to eat for dinner today? Or what, you know, I mean, just things that don't necessarily matter. And the nurse doesn't really have <laughs> too much time to take care of. It's like really life-saving questions that are so important. And so,
0: yeah,
1: uh, that's what the guide is is in its use is for. And and I think that that and when Elise says that, that when they encourage it now, they realize that actually, you no, know, these are good questions to ask, and this really helps us do our job quicker and maybe more efficient. So.
0: Yeah, well, I think you raised a really interest. You, you raised a great point there, Laura. That you know maybe it's fair to say, not all time at the bedside with patients or loved ones is created equal. That you know to me, the guidebook it, it goes beyond just an admonition um, to say you should be engaged. Well, okay, like you told telling your story, Laura, you and your family were engaged. You know, the BATS guide to me. For, you know our audience that knows about lean it, to me it seems like it's it's standardized work um, it, it, it it gives more specifics about what you should ask and when it doesn't I mean you know okay, you know for when he says every every patient and every scenario is unique well sure but it seems like the bats guide is designed to to be a, a framework that that's helpful it can address every single situation but boy it seems like it's designed to catch most uh, to help catch most most everything or the most common scenarios would you say
1: right yeah i mean you know in the in the guide when you look at it i mean these are evidence-based proof issues that hospital deals with falls infections medication errors you know blood issues things like that so these are things that you know when you do look at the preventable medical errors that happen you know these are the certain things that seems to fall into those categories kind of all the time and you know my mom's case you know is really a medication issue so, I mean, that's probably what I would be driving towards looking at. But, I mean, then there's things on falls, infections, bedsores, all these things that, you know, need to be addressed And how do we help the the family, uh, how do we help the healthcare team, and how do we become part of that team? Because, like I said, every single day, I didn't want to be on the A team because I did not, I was not one of my family members that went to medical school for eight years to do this, but I could have been on the B team. I could have come off that bench and made that three-point play because nobody knew my mom like I did. You know, or herself. You know, nobody knew her like that, and I could have been an effective member of that team. And that's what the guide does. It helps you to be an effective member of the team and be that, you know, come off the bench, be that bench player, be part of the team. I wish to God I'd never been sent home because I didn't even have a chance to try. So.
0: Yeah. Uh, Oh, go ahead.
3: I think the way I would look at that that statement on Elisa's slide is that you know, nurses. Have a lot of tasks to do. And, and questions sometimes interrupt those class those tasks and, and might be threatening to, to nursing staff. But one of the things I think that the BATS guide does um, and that some of the questions do is help clarify for the staff and the patients how the system is working to keep them safe. So, um, I'm putting on a pulse oximeter. You know, it's for the nurse to really recognize it, that that task is to help protect patients who are on uh, narcotics, um, make sure that they're or, or, or not on narcotics, to make sure that their oxygen levels are adequate. It, it, you know, as a as a caregiver, I might just do it, and I might not even. Be that cognizant of of why I'm doing a lot of things, but the but the guys help focus everybody on on the why of all the tasks, and then the explanation just becomes part of your work.
0: Yeah, I think that's that's a great lean lesson um, the the power of explaining why instead of just telling people to do something because we said so. I think that's um, I think that's really powerful. Um, one other um, easily answered question. Can we download the guide somewhere? So, yes, um, go to louisebats.org. You'll find links for PDF versions of the guides. You can go on the uh, the Apple App Store and you can find the app there if you search for Bats Guide. And the uh, Android as
1: well, yeah. I'm sorry? And
0: Android as well? And Android, okay. Yeah, the
1: Bats patient guide and then of course you can always e- email me and we can mail you guide or if you're interested in using it in your facilities and stuff we can send you some
0: yeah because the um, yeah the, the, I think the PDF guide is the best way for someone to kind of scroll through and look at it um, but yeah to get the the paper guide um, I, I hope people will reach out because they're interested in that And I'll tell you I was uh, at a hospital in, here in the Dallas area on Monday, I gave one of the bats guides to the chief nursing officer and introduced just a little bit about it. And she started flipping through, and 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 she thought it was fantastic. So she was really excited to go, um, kind of dig into the guide. And I hope that will lead to, um, the, you know, the type of structured, systematic adoption that um, that you've all talked about today, that partnership. Um, I, I think that's, I think that's really, uh, really important. So I want to thank everybody for um, dialing in and attending today. Certainly, I want to thank our presenters, Laura, Elise, and Carol. Thank you so much for um, sharing a little bit about your work and, and hopefully inspiring uh, a lot more improvement. Um, we'll spread these methods, We'll spread improvement um, all throughout healthcare So uh, on behalf of the entire team here at Kinexus... Um, Thank you for joining us, and I, I hope you'll join us again on September 21st. Have a great day.